The following lecture was delivered at the 13th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Providence, Rhode Island, a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Manus Friedman will now present his lecture, Experiencing the Divine. When we pick the title, Experiencing the Divine, I didn't know I would experience it <laughs> this very morning and yesterday. Getting here was divine. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Being here is divine. <laughs> Getting here was hell. <clears throat> so how are you? So, so far? Learn, learn anything yet? Okay, so first of all, let's get a definition. What do we mean by divine? Like that piece of cake you had yesterday? <laughs> it was just divine. What do we mean by divine? Because anything exciting, anything inspiring can be called divine. But it has nothing to do with God. So what really does divine mean? What are we talking about? So I'm sure you know that Hasidus revealed, beginning with Tanya, Hasidus revealed that there's actually a divine soul that we all have that is very distinct from the human soul. So we have two souls which explains a lot of things. Why we're crazy, why we're neurotic. Two souls. Now, a soul is a complete personality. Angels don't have souls. Angels have a divine spark, which means one-dimensional. There's the angel of kindness. All it has is kindness. It's not a complete personality. Plenty of seats right up front. No popcorn, but... <clears throat> so an angel is a one-dimensional creature, one feature, one characteristic. The angel of kindness is kindness. The angel of justice is justice. The angel of mercy is mercy. That's all there is. A soul is a complete personality, 10 faculties, three garments or modes of expression. So you have a human soul, which means human intelligence, human emotions, and human behavior. Then you have a divine soul, which means divine wisdom, divine emotions, and divine expressions. So what we, when we say divine, we mean <clears throat> God-like. When we think the way God thinks, when we do what God does, when we feel what God feels, that's divine. 
it is also superhuman. So the human soul is mortal. It therefore has a survival instinct because it's afraid of death. And that's what makes it selfish or self-centered. It's about me. It's how I experience myself. The divine soul is immortal because it's a little piece of God. So it was never created and it cannot die. It therefore is not preoccupied with survival. So it is not always conscious of self. And it is therefore in tune with God. So the godly soul wants what God wants, likes what God likes, hates what God hates, and so on. Let's apply this a little bit to Shabbos. We're told that on Shabbos we get an additional soul. <laughs> as, if, as if two were not enough. It's not actually a third soul. On Shabbos, you have greater access to your godly soul. It's more available. It's more easily accessible. You feel it. It affects you more on Shabbos than during the week. To understand it properly, I have to give a little background. When God created the world out of nothing, he basically caused what doesn't exist to exist. God said, let there be light because there be no light. There was no light. God had to make it exist. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. <clears throat> now, all things that exist, and again, we need definition. What does it mean that something exists? What does it mean, I am? You're what? No, 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 I am. It means I occupy space. All existence in the physical universe exists by occupying its space. If you could have two thoughts in the same space, uh, they take you away. <laughs> thoughts occupy space. You cannot have two at the same time in the same space in your brain. Because thoughts occupy brain space. Emotions occupy heart space, emotional space. When you have conflicting emotions, you've got a problem. When you're feeling an emotion strongly, what is the expression? The heart is full. The emotion occupies its space. So fire, water, stones, they all exist by occupying space. For the human being, that's a little embarrassing. To occupy space means you can't be where I am. This town is not big enough 
for the two of us. Because it's either mine or yours, we cannot share. And this began a long time ago with those brothers, what were their names? Um, Cain and Abel. <laughs> they had a problem. This planet is not big enough for the two of us. One of us is going to have to go. It's embarrassing to a human being. What do you do? <laughs> you take up space. Sounds like children fighting over a toy. I was here first. Don't touch me. It's embarrassing. There's another thing about, it, about existence. In order to exist, you have certain conditions you have to meet. So imagine a human being who has what to eat, he has what to drink, he has a place to sleep, he has security, he has friends, he has whatever existence needs. What has he accomplished? He'll need it again tomorrow. So what do you accomplish by eating, drinking, and sleeping? That you will eat and drink and sleep again another day. Because all you accomplished is existence. You can exist another day, and when you exist, you need to eat, you need to drink, you need to sleep. So to exist is first of all embarrassing, second of all burdensome. Person goes out to work, we call it making a living. You're making a living yet? <laughs> <clears throat> it's not making a living, it's making an existence. What is life? Everything that God gave existence to, he also gave a life. But they're different. The life of fire is the contribution that fire makes. Warmth, light, cooks things. What is the contribution of water? Water keeps things cool, makes things grow, makes things stick together. The contribution that an existing being makes, that's its life. So the life of a stone is that it provides stability. A house built out of stone can't be blown down as easily as a house built of straw as we know from some non-kosher sources. <laughs> For the human being, there are times when your life and your existence are in conflict. Because what's good for your life may not be so good for your existence, and what is good for your existence may not be so good for your life. Because if existence means taking up space, having your own space without it being invaded, then if I had this room to myself without you, my existence would be much better. You come into the room, ruin my existence. So why are you surprised that I hate you? On the other hand, I've tried talking to empty rooms. That's not a life. 
<laughs> so the fact that you're here gives me conflicting feelings. I love the fact you're here because I have somebody to talk to. I got a life. I don't like the fact that you're here because you just diminished my existence profoundly. And we're not even married. <laughs> what happens in marriage? I think they should make new vows because people forget. Getting married means you are going to allow another person to destroy your existence. <laughs> and you're going to do that because in exchange, the two of you will have a life. So the vows should be, <laughs> with this ring, you are now entitled to be the only one in the world who can destroy my existence. <laughs> See, that way, it's not going to happen that two weeks later, he complains that he feels stifled. I need more room. No, no. You gave up the room. Your existence is gone. Now get a life. What is the miracle of our survival when other nations are no longer here? They were stronger. They were more numerous. They were richer. Where are they? And we're still here. So Mark Twain wrote that famous little piece. They came and made a vast noise, and they're gone. But the Jew is still with us showing no signs of infirmity. Know what that means in English? No signs of infirmity. It means still making trouble. The Jew is still here, still making trouble. Look at the difference in our histories. The Romans, the Babylonians, the, the, the Turkish Empire, the British Empire, the Soviet Union, what did they want? What were they trying to accomplish with their wealth, with their numbers, with their strength? They simply wanted to guarantee their continued existence. The sun should never set on their empire. So they did whatever it takes to guarantee your existence. <laughs> but they don't exist anymore. Our history was different. Before we entered the promised land, Moshe gave us a pep talk. You remember what he said? You're about to enter the promised land. Forget about it. You're going to settle down for a couple of weeks. You're going to get thrown out. You're going to be scattered to the four corners of the heavens. You're going to be reduced to a fraction of your number. You're going to live in other people's countries. They're not going to want you. You're not going to know what to do. In the morning, you won't know where you'll spend the night. And at night, you won't know what you eat in the morning. You're going to go crazy. From <laughs> and the Jew said, um, what's the plan? <laughs> what's with this good news? And Moshe said, don't even think about existence. 
be busy living. We took a hint, and that's what we did. If you want to describe Jewish history in one sentence, for all of our history, we barely existed, but we were so alive. In fact, the worse our existence became, the more alive we became. When our existence was hanging by a thread, we produced the greatest scholars, the greatest institutions, the greatest yeshivas. Existence? Eh. But we're still here. And those who were devoted to existing are not. So you see, here's how it works. The more energy you put into your existence, the less you have for life. The more energy you put into living, the less energy you need for existing. A doctor in a time of a plague, he is so alive. His purpose, his contribution, his effect, it's awesome. So he forgets to eat. So he sleeps less. He doesn't get sick. There's a plague. He doesn't get sick. He even forgets to sit down. Why? Because when you're that alive, your existence almost takes care of itself. So the difference between existing and living. Existing is a little depressing by its very nature. Take up space. I was here first. It's my seat. Don't touch me. <laughs> and it uses up resources. Not only do I take up space, you got to give me. Give me some food, give me some money, give me some... Really embarrassing. If you add weight to your existence by worrying about it, by fighting for it, by admiring it, it can become so heavy that you're actually crushed by it and you can't function. There are some seats here waiting to be occupied. So what causes a person to become depressed? Not, not hormonal, clinical, emotional. When you just don't want to get out of bed or answer the telephone, your existence has become too heavy. So if you think this song is about you, I just wait to see who laughs. Okay, now I, now I know. <laughs> Hum a few bars. If you think this song is about you, your existence is way too big. You have to occupy the space of another person's song? Every conversation going on has to be about you? Whoa, you're taking up way too much space. Rein it in. And that's what we mean by humility. Humility doesn't mean your life is worthless. No Jew is allowed to ever say that. A moment of life is divine. Humility means you exist well. <laughs> Don't be proud. 
There's nothing to be proud of. What, do you take up space better than most people? Hey, watch. Watch me take up space. <laughs> Humble it. Humble it. It's, it's embarrassing. <clears throat> so in a marriage, for example, if you feel like your space has been invaded, which it has been, <laughs> instead of fighting over it, let, let him have it. It'll only get you depressed. So you see, when you give away some of your space, when you give away a little bit of your existence, you come alive. Right? It's in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, and you will live. How do you honor your father and mother? You give up a little of your existence to make their existence easier. Carry their bags, serve them the food. Menial little tasks so that they don't have to do it. And what do you get when you give up a little of your existence to help their existence? You get life. Now you are alive. And the same is true with tzedakah. You take a dollar bill that is good for existence. And you give it to someone to make their existence better. You are now alive. You now have a life. Tzedakah tatzil mimavis. When you give charity, it protects you from death. Not from dying, from being dead. Because when you have only an existence, you don't have a life. So, What's wrong with teenagers? It came out of nowhere, right? <laughs> but it's on everybody's mind. <laughs> I'll tell you a brief, a brief version. Every teenager is angry, even though they live in your house for free. They don't have to pay the mortgage. What are they angry about? Ask them, why am I angry? My mother ruined my whole life. <laughs> no, have you heard that? In every language, in every country, wherever you go, my mother ruined my whole life. It's always the whole life, because <laughs> they're not good at fractions. <laughs> Now, of course, it's not true that, that your mother ruined your life when you were a teenager. First of all, life can't be ruined. Life means the contribution that you're making. How can you ruin that? Existence can be ruined. You can have a difficult existence. We know. We're Jewish. <laughs> We've always had difficult existence. Even today at the UN... They never heard of a Jewish state in the Middle East. Doesn't exist. Because Jews are making trouble. See? For a people that don't exist, we make a lot of noise. <clears throat> so your existence can be pretty bad. Life can't be bad. So your mother can't ruin your existence because life can't be ruined like salt can't go bad. Or sour cream. 
How does sour cream go bad? <laughs> the second reason mothers don't ruin their teenagers' lives is because teenagers don't have lives. <laughs> they barely have an existence that isn't theirs. Like this girl who said, I'm angry at my mother. She went into my room. Your room? You pay rent? It's not your room. It's not your shoes. It's not your clothes. Nothing you have is yours because you never had a job. So you have an existence that doesn't even belong to you. So it's not true that a mother ruins a teenager's life. A mother destroys a teenager's existence. But that makes perfect sense. Not only for teenagers. You're the most important, wealthiest, most powerful guy in town. And you're sitting at the head of a meeting with the most important people in the community. And your mother walks in. Mr. Big Shot. <laughs> she doesn't even have to say that. You know she's thinking it. You have a big existence? Because I carried you. Uh, all right, all right. Right? That's why you must honor your mother by doing the menial tasks to make her existence easier, because you can't give her an existence the way she gave you. So at the very least, make her existence a little lighter, a little easier. So you see, there's a very real and important distinction between living and existing. Teenagers don't know the difference, and that's why they're so frustrated. When we lose sight of that distinction, we get ourselves into trouble. Remember Terry Scheibo? Terry Scheibo was a woman in Florida. She was in a vegetative state. <clears throat> she was breathing on her own, but she needed to be fed. And her husband argued that they should stop feeding her because the quality of her life was bad. And the court agreed. And they stopped feeding her. Now here's the terrible mistake. The quality of her life was bad. Life can't go bad. It was her existence that was severely limited. She had a terrible existence. But can you kill someone because their existence isn't good? In what way was she alive? What was her life? She had the whole country talking about a moral issue. She had more effect in her vegetative state than a thousand rabbis making sermons every week in their temples. She had an amazing effect. Yeah, we're still talking about her today. So here's what Shabbos means. Isn't it interesting that God prohibits all labor on Shabbos? What constitutes labor? 
anything constructive. If it's not constructive, yeah, go ahead. You can carry a king-size mattress up and down the stairs in your house all day Shabbos until you collapse, knock yourself out. That's okay. That's not labor. But throw the switch to turn on the air conditioner? Oh, no, that's labor. That's work. Because by work, we mean a constructive effect on your existence. So here's what God is saying. Six days of the week, do whatever it takes to make your existence a little easier. If it's broken, fix it. You don't have one, go buy it, deliver it, Amazon. If it's raw, cook it. If it's torn, sew it. But one day out of seven, leave your existence alone. Whatever it is, it's fine. You have, good. You don't have, just as good. Whatever you bought before Shabbos started, that's what you eat. You didn't buy it, so you don't have it. It's fine. Actually, if you notice the magical transition, magical transformation that happens when the sun goes down or when you light the Shabbos candles. Fifteen minutes ago, you were frantic. This is not done. I didn't buy one of those. Didn't get that. Didn't make the call. Didn't. You're frantic. You light the candles and all of a sudden it's like, eh. <laughs> everything's good. What, what happened to all those needs? Yeah, it's Shabbos. You know, magic. What a simple candle can do. Obviously, it's not the candle. It's the inner candle. It's the neshama. For six days, God says, do what you need to do to make your existence more comfortable, make your existence easier, richer, more pleasurable. But enough. One day out of the week. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Focus on what you are needed for. Forget what you need. Did you hear that? That is the healthiest psychological frame of mind that we have yet discovered. Stop thinking about what you need. Think only about who needs you and what are you needed for. This is the opposite of depression. If you worry about your existence, you're a little depressed. But if you're thinking about who needs you and what you are needed for, all depression disappears. We, we, have, we have, I think, a talk about this because it deserves its own treatment. But for the purpose of Shabbos, Shabbos means today I'm here for you. What I needed, I took care of all week. All week I took care of it. But today, I'm here for you. Shabbos Hayyim Lashem. This day is dedicated to him. So, 
the, the contentment that Shabbos brings. And that is the theme of Shabbos, by the way. Shabbos means I'm fine. I don't have any needs. All my work is done and I have what I need for Shabbos and no more worries. Shabbos is 24 hour practice of contentment. But contentment means I have what I need. What can I do for your needs? So contentment doesn't mean retirement. It doesn't mean inactivity. It means I retire from existence and now I'm completely available to you. Actually, that's what marriage means. I give up on my existence. From now on, I'm here for you. So Shabbos is sometimes described as a queen, as a bride. It's a marriage of sorts. It's a contentment that comes from putting life before existence. And now we have solved the biggest of all dilemmas, mysteries. Why do we say l'chaim when we take a drink and make a toast? Have any idea? Hmm? We say l'chaim to life. It's not that dangerous. It's like a one-word prayer to life. I don't want to die. When you're making a toast, it's not that dangerous. Well, not the first one, anyway. So why do we say l'chaim before making a toast? I can tell you, before you get on a plane, you should say l'chaim. You get on a cruise ship, two l'chaims. No? Nobody says l'chaim. But when you make a toast and take a little drink, all of a sudden you're worried you're going to die. What is that? And it's not like in the olden days among non-Jews where every strong drink that was offered to you was probably poisoned. And so you had to exchange drinks. No, 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 no. You drink this. I'll, I'll. But we never had that problem. Jews don't kill each other with drinks. Why ruin a good schnapps? So our drinks were always safe. And yet we're the ones who say l'chaim before taking a drink. <clears throat> the reason is this. We are not saying to life versus death. We don't think about death. We're not interested. <laughs> Some people think, you know, you go to heaven and it's a better place. We don't think like that. I'm not going to heaven. Let me up. I'm not going nowhere. I'm staying here. What's wrong with that? And it's not a better place. There is no better place. Heaven is nice, not better. 
a month, two months. <laughs> After a while, it's like, you know, <laughs> you come up to heaven and there are souls who have been there for a while and you say, hi, what's new? <laughs> what's going to happen today? It's nice. See, it's not Jewish. We don't like that. So we're not, we're not worried about death. We're not thinking of death. We're not going nowhere. When we say l'chayim, we mean to life rather than existence. It's like Shabbos. Shabbos means today I am living. My existence, it's fine. It's fine. You know the old expression, more than the Jews kept Shabbos, Shabbos kept the Jews. Think about this for a moment. A Jewish family living in a ghetto under the worst conditions and circumstances. How did they survive mentally, emotionally? Shabbos. On Shabbos, they did not feel poor they didn't feel hungry. They didn't feel neglected or underprivileged. It was Shabbos. Existence was good. And that kept them for the rest of the week. So when we say L'chaim, we're not saying, I don't want to die. We're saying, we, the Jewish people, chose life over existence. And that has been our history. We make sure we're alive. Existence, all right. Somehow we'll manage. Think about the education that American children receive. What is the average American child taught? By parents, by schools, by how to brush their teeth? cross the street safely, ride a bicycle, avoid strangers. There's nothing about life. It's all about existence. Children are encouraged to get good grades in school, study. Sounds like something noble. But then, of course, it deteriorates to get a good mark, you'll get into a good college, you'll get a better job, you'll have a bigger car. Back to existence again. And the same with everything. Share with your friend when he comes over. Sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't, when you go to your friend's house, he's not going to share with you. And he has nicer toys. It's back to existence again. We've got to teach children about life. Stop a guy in the street. He said, Cut, would you like to put on tefillin? <laughs> he says, no, thanks. I don't need that. I said, good, so let's do it. <laughs> he says, no, I really don't need that. I said, I know. If you needed tefillin, I wouldn't even talk to you. <laughs> You're weird. In fact, if you needed tefillin... That would just be part of your existence. 
Because all need comes from existence. I'm not here to help you with your existence. I'm trying to talk to you about life. Life means do what is needed from you. That woman says, I tried keeping Shabbos. I don't need this. I said, oh, I know. You didn't create the world in six days and rested on the seventh. <laughs> of course you don't need this. The point is, we have always been good at things we don't need. Because that's life. All of a sudden, if you don't need it, you don't do it. That's depressing. So when we say l'chaim, we're saying, I choose life over existence. Why do we say that when we take a drink? Because the whole point of taking a drink is to relax your existence. It is a well-established established fact of science that drunk people don't take up space. Did you ever hear about this? <laughs> How do you know somebody's drunk? Because when he's sober, he talks to you from here. When he's drunk, and you back away and he follows you. Doesn't have space. You buy a couch, and the salesperson says, this couch will seat three comfortably. So yeah, that's if they're sober. <laughs> It'll seat nine if they're drunk. Now, it's a fact, no? Drunk people don't take up space. They do take up time, though. <laughs> I get it, I get it. <laughs> so here's the point. Here's the point. When we say l'chaim, we mean we are the experts on life because we choose life over existence. We practice it every Shabbos and to some degree every day of the week because we're Jewish and our existence is still kind of minimal in many, many places, but we are alive. This is what Shabbos does for us. So, l'chaim. Let's have a great Shabbos. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.